0: Ready to start your ESG journey? Get going today with social Suite, and you could start reporting publicly in 30 days. With investor pressure mounting and regulations just around the corner, there's never been a better time to start your ESG reporting. SocialSuite takes the complexity out of environmental, social, and governance reporting. Social Suite helps organizations to measure, monitor, and report on their progress with fast, simple, and affordable software. Create value through ESG in order to raise capital, improve brand and reputation, as well as mitigate risk. Social Suite has helped almost 100 micro to small cap companies report on ESG, with some starting their baseline report in under 60 minutes and reporting publicly within 30 days. ESG is a lot easier than you think, and you're probably already doing it. So take your sustainability reporting to the next level with measurable progress. Start your ESG journey today with Social Suite, an ESG software company for micro to small caps. Visit SocialSuiteHQ.com. That's Social SocialSuiteHQ.com to learn more. My guest on the show today is Ryan Hamlin, co-founder and CEO of Posibit Systems Corporation. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is P-B-I-T on the CSE and P-O-S-A-F on the OTCQX. Posibit is a financial technology company that delivers payment processing and point-of-sale systems for cash-only businesses. Posibit specializes in resolving pain points for complex, high-risk emerging industries like cannabis with an all-in-one solution that is compliant, user-friendly, and utilizes top-of-the-line hardware. Let's start by saying that the cannabis industry has been getting, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, wrecked in the last two years. Uh, Almost every sector and indicator and publicly traded cannabis company issuer performances are down. Even when we think that some companies are making progress, uh, they've probably announced not so great earnings within the last quarter or two. Despite the nuclear winter we're seeing in cannabis right now, and for the last couple of years now, if we're looking at the big picture, whether cannabis is legalized or not, it's without a doubt not going anywhere. I think we can all agree with that premise. And if so, I wanted to have on a, a picks and shovels type company to better understand how they're working through the current cannabis climate, as well as their perspective on the industry as a whole. That's where today's guest, Ryan Hamlin from posabit enters the chat. Uh, we had a great conversation about what's happening in the cannabis industry, as well as the legalization debate within the industry, the importance of having a payments infrastructure as a cannabis retailer. PositBit's capital allocation strategy, specifically in regards to M&A, and Ryan's vision for the company in three to five years. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Ryan Hamlin, co-founder and CEO of PositBit Systems Corporation. Ryan, thank you for joining me today. How are you
1: doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for uh, hosting. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Look, I have I was joking with you offline how I've been hounding... Uh, uh, James uh, from uh, Hayden IR to to get you on the show and uh, because look I've known that I've i known positive for a while like I, I've seen you present a little bit um, I actually had one of your board of directors randomly on uh, Planet Microcap Podcast uh, uh, Louis Cammy, um, to talk not about positive but talk about SPACs yeah. of all things uh, which was fun um, but having said all that I've also known and studied the cannabis space for a long time now. Um, It was one of my first sectors when I was coming up in Wall Street. So, you know, I've wanted to do kind of a picks and shovels type story covering in the Canada space, especially right now with how everything is going. So I say all that to then get to our first question here, because people are (laughs) they don't want to hear me talking about Let's talk. Let's talk positive. So, (laughs) you know, to start us off, Ryan, what, what would you say is that one line that best describes positive?
1: Wow, the one-liner would would uh, be positive. It's the payments infrastructure leader in the cannabis industry. How's that beautiful?
0: I, <laughs> I actually had a line written out for you. If you needed it, it was a payments you know, and point of sale provider for the cannabis. But you, yeah. th- there you go. Perfect.
1: You know, I, and the reason I say is payments infrastructure. We always think of payments infrastructure as that's the core. Like whenever you you look at a lot of the, the successful businesses in the fintech space, you can pick Square, Toast, whoever you want to go. Everything always starts around that core of payments because that's where payments, that's where the money is, right? Transactional businesses are where the money is. And then, so, so we thought, felt like it's really important to lead with, hey, we're a payments infrastructure company and, and that is at our core. And then around that, yeah, we do have a great point of sale, but I think of a point of sale, as just part of that payments infrastructure. It's not the key part. The key part is you got to have that payments foundation and then you start building things. And you, if you look at Stripe, Square, all of them, Toast, this is exactly what they did, right? Fund their business, get the payments going, then they start to build all these services around. They have these great POSs, they have mobile capabilities, then they start offering bill pay and the, all these other things. And so, yeah, from day 1, the way we differentiated ourselves from everyone else in this cannabis tech space is that we took on um what I think was the hardest challenge, which was payments in a federally illegal uh environment of you know cannabis being a schedule one drug. And so I figured, hey, why not just you know go for it, take, take, <laughs> take on the biggest problem. If we can solve that, then um I think we have a pretty good business here. So yeah, that's the. That's the key on the one-liner.
0: I, I I appreciate that. And actually, you already hit in my next question a little bit when, you know, because, you know, for those that aren't as familiar, I'm sure it, yeah. it would be, you know, we should give them a little bit of perspective on the history of the company. You know, as you said, you wanted to take on the hardest problem in payments yeah. out there, um, you know, providing a payment solution for uh, a product that's still federally illegal. So yeah. love to, you know, t- take us back to the, the company's original yeah. founding and, and uh, you know, the original thesis for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's two kind of key events leading up to actually founding POSBIT in 2015. The first is I was at Microsoft a long time. And so, you know, loving the software, love providing great scalable solutions. So, um, you know, a lot of us that were Microsoft early days and then spun out and started to create our own companies. And so first was just having that experience at Microsoft. Second was I started my first fintech company before POSBIT as my first startup, and that was to help small businesses be able to book online. And that's where I learned a lot about the challenges of just the entire fintech space and the payments infrastructure. So um, when it came time to kind of figure out, okay, what's my next thing after my first startup, I started to look around and realize, number one, I lived in the state of Washington, which we had just legalized in 2012. And so this is 2014, only two years later, and we had just started selling recreationally. So pretty fascinated by the industry. Second, I knew that it needed to have good software. I actually went to one of the early, early days Canada shows here in Seattle, and it wasn't even at a conference. It was, and this was weird, and, you know, maybe your audience appreciates this or not, but like, I'm going to all these Microsoft conferences where it's like way different than you go to a cannabis conference in 2014 a little bit of a shocker but anyways walking around the floor realizing number one no one's thinking about software so that was like idea number one hey we got to do something for this industry they need really good software number two recognizing that it was cash only and couldn't believe that and i was like how can you create this you know multi-billion dollar industry and have it all be cash that can't be good for anybody um and uh, I actually was dabbling on a project with my son on crypto at the time. And we had actually bought a couple um, miners, bit miners, and, and I was running them at my house mining Bitcoin. And so it was kind of the all of that coming together, which in twenty at the very beginning of 2015, a good friend of mine was sitting around his backyard and we're like, hey, this is pretty cool. Like, There's not many people doing, like you said, picks and shovels, kind of software and cannabis. We're in one of the states, one of the, you know, the second state after Colorado. So really early advantage for us. And I think we have a cool kind of way to solve this cash problem using crypto. <laughs> so the company that, you know, we founded Pause a Bit, the bit is truly Bitcoin. I mean, when we named the company, it was around point of sale. That's the POS, point of sale via Bitcoin. So we are making sales via Bitcoin. Uh, anyways, so... That was the, you know, the early on of, hey, let's go solve this super hard problem. And not only let's solve it for cannabis, but hey, why not throw in crypto? Because, you know.
0: I mean, why not throw a little (laughs) AI? Should we throw a little AI, a little little, little psychedelics in there too? I mean, is there a mining component we can throw in there as well? I mean, come on. We got to hit them all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was. It's funny. (laughs) And then. You know, yeah, I joke about like, man, those those early days were painful because we had to um, become a money services business. We had to get our money transmission license. We we went through so much. I mean, and it, you know, not to go too deep here, but that's really where we learned the importance of compliance. And I mean, it's really the foundation of our company was built on solvent payments and doing it in a compliant manner. And you know, from day one, we had to hire really good attorneys to build out our AML program and get all of our registrations for FinCEN. And yeah, I mean, we learned a lot early days about the importance of compliance. So kind of the the beginnings of the company.
0: Absolutely. So catch us up then, you know, from the humble beginnings in 2014, where you're going to accept, you know, helping these companies accept payment for their goods and services using Bitcoin or some other crypto way to where we are today in 2023. I'm assuming Maybe that, I'm sure some of that lasted a little bit, but I'm I'm sure yeah. the company evolved even since then.
1: Oh yeah, company evolved a lot. I mean, the piece that stayed on was what I just said the compliance element, of course. But no, we moved away from crypto. We actually went from Bitcoin to Litecoin just because we were paying so much in our um, fees because we were writing transactions with blockchain. Cool technology, like really cool. I, and jokingly, I say like we were one of the earlier days of just like true commerce with crypto. Um, but recognize that number one, it was a very complicated sale. It's really hard to explain to somebody coming into a cannabis store <laughs> that, uh, you're there to buy, you know, a pre-roll, but you know, first we're going to sell you crypto and then you're going to use that same crypto to buy the cannabis. And, and, you know, honestly, cannabis store, right. <laughs> that's that's not necessarily just lost, that, just lost that sale for sure. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, that's you when I well go to
0: my dealer, man. Like I give him ca- give them cash.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, we um we recognized that okay, well that was a good first start. We had to evolve our payments. So that's when we started looking for a debit solution. Um we started playing around with the, this point of banking stuff, but recognized right away that that was not compliant and again goes back to our roots of we have to be compliant. So then that's when we started to really nurture relationships with Um, Brand new sponsor banks, and we'll get into kind of how we do the debit. But so we evolved to to offering full debit, and then we um, added a point of sale at the end of 2018. And then we just kind of kept growing. So now, you know, fast forward, here we are, we're in 650 locations, 27 different states. Um, You know, our POS business is thriving. We we have 40% of the market here in the state of Washington um, as our largest market. So a lot of really good things. And then obviously, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, that we went public, we went public in April of, of 2019, and that's been a, a journey um, as well. But all <laughs> kinds of things I'm sure we can talk about here next. But yeah, no, fast forward, that, that's where we are. You know, a healthy company, we're valued about 100 million, I think somewhere right around there. And um, companies about 80 people based in the Seattle area. Um, yeah, and, and our two beachhead products of, of point of sale and payments. Very cool. All right. So let, I want to talk about the
0: tech specifically because I think folks want to understand like, all right, well, how did what was the actual solution now for these companies that, you know, have to be for the most part cash? You know, so can you tell us a little bit about the technology and also what is unique and different about it? compared to, you know, some of the stripes and some of these other payment systems, where yeah. I'm sure one risk factor that's in the back of some people's heads, is like, okay, well, once this becomes federally legal, like what's stopping a stripe or one yeah. of them now getting into
1: it. So can we cover all that? Yeah. Yeah. Um definitely. Let's start. So let's start at just how how all we right, can I threw a right lot at you.
0: Me. I apologize.
1: No, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. Um so the, the key, and so it's a Schedule One drug. If you read Visa MasterCard policy, basically says it, within their card brand rules, you can't provide services for Schedule One drugs. Um, so that's thus why you can't use a credit card um, to, to purchase cannabis. So we looked at that and said, okay, well, what if we were to uh, build, in essence, an independent network that was a sponsor bank that was willing to basically be a sponsor um, for our processing number two find a processor that was willing to process debit transactions but the key is on independent rails so um mm-hmm. there's the way a card works when you go to the gas station you pay with a debit card you know if you look on the back of your card they used to have these symbols star plus all these little logos those are all different independent rail providers and so based on wherever you got your debit card Your bank that issued that card basically has a stair step of okay. When Bob runs his debit, first you know run across the pulse rails to try to find his bank. Can you find his bank to find how much money he has in it? Nope, we can't. Okay, so then go to the next one. Okay, so then it goes, let's say to the Star Network. Runs across that. All of those quote rails are called independent or rail providers. Some are owned by Visa and Mastercard. Some are not. So what we did is we run on the ones that aren't owned, which then allows us to be independent and run across um, the independent rail providers that are separate from Visa and MasterCard. So now you have a processor that's willing to process. You have a sponsor bank that's willing to be our sponsor and you have independent rails. So that's how the solution works. Now, doing all of that takes a year and a half, at least. Like It's a very complicated process because you, from just a compliance standpoint, and you have to find the right partners. So we took a lot it took a lot of time. And I always tell people that's really our moat around our business. Until legalization happens, it's very difficult to repeat all of what I just said Um, Mm -hmm. and and do it in a way that, you know, we've done from the beginning around compliance. And, you know, we, I tell people this because it's kind of a badge of honor. We got audited by FinCEN. I don't think anyone wants to get audited by FinCEN, but we actually got audited by FinCEN about a year and a half ago. And we passed that audit with zero issues. So, you know, it was almost... Um, a, a testament of all of the work we had started back in 2014 to allow us to finally get to this place where we have this compliant debit solution. So that's that's why it's it is what it is, and why we have built a nice moat around it. And people ask me like, why you know why aren't people just rushing into this? Well, it's just hard. It's really really hard. And the compliance piece, like you said, Toast Square. I mean, everything around this is a much different transaction than buying a cup of coffee. And so um, every single transaction has to be registered with the state that you're in. We have to file um, what we call SARs or suspicious activity reports every single month on every single transaction. And and it actually depicts where the store. So imagine I'm sending to FinCEN all of these cannabis locations and all these transactions, again, uh, totally above the board on everything we do around compliance. That's why it's unfortunate that there's a lot of really bad actors in this industry. And I'd love to talk about that maybe later on. But so the, to to end the question on what you said around you know Square, with competition coming in and if legalization happens, certainly Square and others will eventually come in. I mean, it's a big enough industry. But initially, our um, speculation is they probably won't jump in immediately. Um, they've got to figure a lot of stuff out. And if they do jump in, it's they probably are going to jump into an acquisition. So, you know, our strategy and our exit has always been, you know, heads down, execute, be as as, um, successful as we can on the public markets and, you know, obviously drive the valuation and shareholder value. But if and when that day comes that things legalize, let us be the best target. Let, you know, let a square or a toast or a stripe zero in on us and go, all right, those, those positive guys have been doing this a long time. They know how to do it. They've been doing it in a compliant manner let's just acquire them so a lot there but i'll let no, you know that,
0: that that makes that 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 makes total sense as you were saying i was like oh duh obviously that yeah. that, that makes total sense you know just let's jump yeah. to that regulatory question real quick you know i mean we can speculate all we want in terms of all all that coming down yeah. i mean but it's but you know you guys are unique in cannabis where you're not so affected by whether or not it goes off schedule one or not, right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, yeah. you know, there's how many states now, 23, 24 states that it is legal and yeah. and, and operates. Yeah. So, you know, we want to speak to that yeah. a little bit more for because I'm sure that's one of the things yeah. that people think about as well.
1: No, for sure. And it's, you know, it's, it's a tough one to answer because being in the cannabis industry, of course, we're 100% supportive of legalization. There's all kinds of real benefits of cannabis and that we value. You know the research and medical use, all kinds of things. But at the same time, you like you said, we're in this kind of unique position. So you know we're we're on the fence of if it's not you know fully legalized, we're the the it's a much smaller pool of competitors, and we're the big fish in a smaller pool. And it's kind of nice, right? We're, we're I mean, just, just look at our track record. We double revenue last five years in a row. Like if that's we're on a great path to just continue and down there. Now, if it does legalize, it's not a doomsday for us because we recognize right away that if it's legal, all transactions will start to be on card. Like today, if you look at my business today and you probably heard me say this, if you listen to me, like we've only, we only process about 30% of the transactions, even when we're in a store. So people still are paying with cash. There's still 70%. And a lot of the reasons is the store's like, they don't mind the cash. They have their ATMs, they don't mind the cash. Now imagine a world where it's fully legal, it's going to be like any other retail. So you're going to get to the upper 80s, maybe even low 90s of all transactions are going to go to credit and debit. So good news for us. We're already pre-approved for credit. So when that day comes, it's literally the flipping of a switch. Now we're taking credit. Our volumes go from 30 to to 90. So we're tripling them out that we're processing. Yes, there'll be competitive pressures. Yes, our rates will go down a little bit because we'll have to but when we model this out, the net is the volume increase and just the sheer number of stores now that are opened up. Instead of having 10,000 cannabis stores today in those states that you mentioned, now you're talking you know, 50, 60, 70, 100,000 different stores in the US. So you know, your TAM goes way up, the processing volume goes way up. Yeah, competitive pressures come in, but we feel great about where we end up in a post legalization world too. So we're kind of we're happy in both worlds, right? Right now, we're kind of playing, you know, playing both sides right now. Just saying, hey, we love where we're at because we have a really great solution, and it helps a ton of people that are in this space today. While it's still not federally legal, mm-hmm. but we're going to be okay when it becomes federally legal.
0: I mean, if you game it out a little bit, in some respects, you're like, you know. Oh man, it's not legal yet.
1: Like, farmer, right.
0: oh, <laughs> you know, because you're at the back of your head, you're just like, wait, but there's other states that are coming online soon. And like, hey, Dalcy, yeah. go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Go. Yeah. And Get over just there. Our, yeah. And market penetration. I mean, I look at the state of Washington, if we go back three years ago, we had maybe 5% of the market. Now we have 40% of the market. So even in those states that are legal, we're still taking the share, right? Um, yeah. It's an interesting. It's an interesting space to be safe banking, you know, we is kind of my board and I have this joke because I've been very, I mean, out there saying, I don't think it's going to pass. And I've said this for years and, and years and years. And now, even now it's kind of risen again. Oh, it's going to come back. And, and I, the, the joke I always say to my board is like, Hey, when pigs fly, safe banking will pass. Like, it's just, I don't see it. We have such a split political division right now in our, in our, you know, our, our country and the economy, everything else like that. I just don't feel like safe banking is going to be the thing that just like jumps to the front for everybody to want to pass. If it does, hey, that's great. But I just, just don't see it happening. Absolutely. So let's talk
0: also real quick about, you know, just the industry in general. You know, again, we yeah. were joking. I don't want to joke about it because, you know, there's a lot of businesses have been hurt sure. by by this. But yeah. like cannabis industry, is it's been, yeah. been a bloodbath. What else can we say? It's been an absolute bloodbath for what, what would you say, last 18, 24 months? 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what, what would you say are some of the reasons for that in your opinion? And then, you know, how are you managing through this difficult period in cannabis right now?
1: Yeah. So industry as a whole, 100%. I mean, I think a big part of it is there was a surplus. I mean, a lot of operators came in, the MSOs started to really um, become vertically integrated and growing a ton of their own. So there was some price compression on just the amount of product in the market. So I think it all, you know, it, sometimes people are, look at like, oh, it's it was the economy and some of it was self-inflicted. I think the cannabis industry, it was a bit of a self-infliction where it kind of grew up a little too fast on the grow side and produced way too much product and there wasn't enough you know demand supply and demand basic economics like it was too much product so you had the big guys that grew all these products now are starting to hurt a little bit more so it's like anything when the big start to hurt what happens it just rolls its way down and so you started to see price compression at the dispensaries and the stores you know having to really you know not their margins are, um, started to drop and in addition to 1080e and all the taxes they had, now they had margin pressure, so that started to drop. And and so and then you just layer on the economy and just general consumer spend. And for the first six, you know, if you say it's, it, I think it's yeah, about eighteen months, twenty four months. The first six months prior to that, the economy was going down, but cannabis was staying relatively okay and i think it's because it's like anything sin you know those those sin products or do you want to call it alcohol tobacco cannabis even in tough times people still spend and i think we we had this artificial time period where people still were spending but things were hurting and then finally we reached the peak where it's like oh okay now actually consumers really are holding back and we've been you know, like we saw ticket sizes that were normally 86 bucks, drop down to like 72 bucks, in some cases 60 bucks. Like there's literally that we've seen it. So we know consumers are spending less. We know there's a surplus of product, which is causing margins to be squeezed. So that's the industry's result. beauty about our business is that in some ways, you know, we are affected because we're payments, so we don't process maybe as much per store, but we're not as affected in that we have, you know you know, it's, it's, you said picks in trouble. It's software. Software industry is a great place to be. Software is good margins. You, everyone still needs our point of sale. They have to have a point of sale to register, to stay compliant. Consumers still want to pay with plastic versus paying more fees at an ATM or, you know, frankly, just having not enough cash on hand. So it's good that, you know, our services in some ways, I don't want to say, they're inflation resistant or recession resistant. Like it's, they, we're still affected, but not nearly as much as the rest of the industry. And so I think what's happening, and we've already saw this Q1 in general is down. Q2 numbers are looking better, not only for us, but also for the industry as a whole. I think you know when you have these brand new industries that get created overnight multi billion they're going to go through a bunch of peaks and valleys and i think we're just you know we we shot up and we're we're in our our first big valley of cannabis we'll come out of it just fine and you know when the economy starts getting a little bit better i think we're naturally going to come out of it and be even stronger and so i think it's it, it got hurt because there was artificial inflation on valuations too that was the other thing is like people it was like it's like ai today I mean, you and I both you put .ai on your domain right now and you're going to get this crazy valuation. I guarantee in two years from now, we're going to be saying, man, what happened to the AI industry? <laughs> like, it's, you know, I think these are this is the way these industries work. There's a lot of momentum, investor excitement of like, oh, cannabis, it's going legal. Yay. A lot of investors come in, a lot of new companies come in and it goes up and those valuations are artificial. And the companies that survive are the ones that, frankly, have a good business model and have proven that even in tough times, you know, they can be fiscal responsible. They can still grow their revenue. And, and that's what, I mean, not to just toot our own horn here, but like that is one of the things we pride ourselves on. Like, hey, you, this industry has been up and down, but we've been consistently growing, consistently getting better and more customers and growing. And I think hopefully investors you know will reward some of the companies that have good unit economics and have run their companies responsible and haven't done stupid public and private valuations like you know it's just so anyway a lot there but i'll get off no 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 (laughs) no
0: no no you hit i mean you hit on a lot of what has been kind of the the general you know, uh, uh, reasonings for, for what's going on in, in the cannabis industry. And I, and I think that everybody ba- pretty much agrees like that's, what's been happening. And, you know, from what's interesting that I, when I think about with, or I don't know, maybe I just think it's interesting, but like when I think about positive in terms of, you know, um, I, I guess, or at least for me, what I want to know where, that I, I think would be interesting yeah. is, you know, what's your current market penetration right now? You know, in turn, yep. with, within the states where, by the way, is it just, are you just in U.S. or you also, you also have clients no. in Canada? You do Just, okay. Yeah. just U.S. Okay. Just US. So, so for the states that it's currently, it's currently legal, you know, what is your market penetration right now? And then, yeah, yeah let's start there. I want to start there.
1: Yeah, no. So if there, the general rule right now is there's 10,000 dispensaries out there. And, and that are actual legal, both recreational and medical dispensaries in the United States, and not all of them um, obviously have payments today. We 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 guess that about thirty percent of the point of you know the the still the non-compliant point of banking. Which happy to talk about that because that's actually it's unfortunate um, uh, having this point of banking out there because. There's a lot of merchants that are vulnerable to that solution not being compliant. But so if you think about it that way, 30, maybe even optimistically, let's say 40%. So now you're talking about 4,000 dispensaries. We've got 650. So, you know, you can do the math. We're 15-ish percent, you know, something like that, roughly getting stronger Um, in the states like Washington, like I mentioned, we're 40, 40 plus percent. We because we are a West Coast company, we're obviously strongest right now, just in the West Coast. So Washington California, Colorado, Nevada, um, kind of our big states. And then when we leap across the country, Michigan's a really good state for us. We've been very successful. New Mexico, we've been very successful in. And now we're just kind of really opening up and Kind of the, the the eastern border, um Massachusetts and New Jersey, New York, kind of that area and in, in Florida. We'll spend, you know, we'll we'll start to get more market share there. But just, you know, it was just a proximity thing for us. It made sense for us to really focus on the West Coast. Plus, the West Coast states were the first to legalize, right? So the more mature states for us, it's actually better to work in because it's crazy. That these new states and trying to understand like New York, right? I mean, New York's absolutely nuts right now like you can walk downtown Times Square and you'll see every shop selling cannabis right now and you know it's supposed to be a legal state like it's out of control so I love and I do look to the state of Washington and frankly Colorado as like the models of how to really run a good cannabis state like everyone here abides by the rules everyone pays their taxes compliance is super important the LCB does spot checks. Like it, there is very, you know, there's black markets and everything, but like very little here compared to like of California. Um, sorry, man. But <laughs> it's like, you guys, you guys are one of the worst. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> but oh man. This, it sucks. <laughs> this, it's, it's a little crazy now in California, but um, yeah. So um, yeah, that's, you know, when we, we look at our share, like that's, and then the other big metric for us is, is profitability, working to profitability. We've, you know, very much stated like, hey, we have great revenue growth. We want to double. We focus on our gross margin um, dollars and we want to be profitable. I mean, I think there's, that is, you know, every time now investors are looking, they're looking at not only that top line growth, but they're like, okay, that's great. But are you going to be able to sustain? Do you, are you actually putting money in the bank? Are you, you know, when are you going to be profitable? And so we, you know, we've, We've touched profitability multiple times in the last like 18 months, um, but we officially came out with our guidance that we were going to be slightly negative this year, and we just felt like in a time where there's a lot of unknowns, and frankly, we're investing like we're pedaled to the metal, like we're investing right now because we think this is a perfect time for us to take market share. Um, you know, in a time when a lot of our competitors are hurting this is a great chance for us to gain share. So we don't want to be foolish with our spending, but at the same time, you know, we don't feel like now is the time to put millions of dollars in the bank and, you know, focus on just profitability. We want to focus on some growth right now.
0: I was going to say that kind of goes right into, you know, some of your, your capital allocation strategy when you're looking at m and I mean, the company has done quite a few, you know, a couple transactions over the last three years. Um, And then in April, for instance, you just, you made an acquisition of a company called Hyper. So can you tell us a little bit about what your M&A strategy is, maybe using Hyper as an example and how, and maybe some of your criteria for potential acquisitions out there right now?
1: Yeah. No, great question. Um, First and foremost, we look at how is it going to help us with distribution? So it's, you know, just acquiring existing accounts. So we want to grow fast. Great way to grow fast is by existing companies that have relationships already. So that's criteria number one. Number two is look at a company that is distressed in value, but has great technology and has is aligned with our philosophy, particularly around payments and payments infrastructure. And so the what was very appealing for us with Hyper is that you know, they were raising capital 12 months ago at a hundred million dollar valuation. And, you know, they unfortunately ran out of some cash. They were struggling a little bit. They still had great product. They had great people, but, and they had a good set of merchants. I mean, they had 150 merchants. So when we looked at it, we're like, okay, if we can acquire this asset for what we paid seven and a half million, only a million and a half in cash, 6 million equity, Um, you know, really good deal for us because they come with 5.4 million of revenue and 150 merchants, which we know we can monetize immediately. Um, And they come with some technology to fill some of our product gaps. And so, you know, that was an example of a perfect fit. It filled product gaps. They brought some experienced people. They were a depressed company. So the value was correct and they brought merchants. Um, So that's, You know, if you look at that's our criteria, really, when we when and we're still in market, like we're looking right now at other opportunities where we can kind of if it hits those criteria, then we have the nice thing is we have the cash. We're one of the few companies that actually has some cash in the bank that we can still make some of these acquisitions. So, I mean, I I can dive into hyper if you want, but, um, you know, a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, with hyper, there's there was four million things we got. We've we got another processor. So remember when I explained kind of how much time it took us to build this compliance system? One of those was getting a processor that would agree to process for us. They actually had a relationship with another processor. And so the beauty is it gave us redundancy. And so now we're the only payment provider in the entire cannabis space that actually has dual processors. Nobody else has that. So it put us in a leadership position, number one, with that. Number two, it brought us some technology in B B2, to it's B2C and, and B B2, to and B2B ACH payments. So think of it as on the B2B side, think of it as bill.com. So we now have the capability for our dispensaries to use our technology to pay invoices. So they can not only can they generate an invoice, but they can actually pay an invoice and move money around. And in an industry where it's really hard to get banked, it seems simple, like we all pay our bills online, but when you're a cannabis company, it's not that simple. So we're providing now a solution that allows them to have, in essence, a a build up com or bill pay experience. So that's a really big thing. The other thing on the B2C side is it opens up another avenue for people to pay for orders online. Because we have a debit solution, you can't pay, obviously, with a debit card online. All transactions have to be in person because you put your PIN in. And from a compliance standpoint, that's like, no bueno, you cannot, you cannot do debit online. So what we built or what Hyper has is the, the B2C ACH capability where you can actually connect up your checking account. And then if you place an order, you can have that automatically pulled out of your checking account and paid for. So that, that was a nice product gap that we didn't have. And then the last thing, um, and I we point to some, we, Teams great, but Michael... Sinwell, who was the founder and CEO, is just a wealth of knowledge, been in the payments industry for 30 years. And so, you know, I started this interview with you saying we're the payments infrastructure leader. Like the way we succeed is is hire really good payments talent. And he's a guy that's been in this industry for 30 years, knows a ton about the industry and um, the payments industry specifically. So it was great, you know, acquisition talent, talent acquisition too. So that was you know, kind of the driver behind. The last thing I would say is they have this soft, um, software called Comply, or we have the software now called Comply, and banks use HyperComply for helping them do underwriting decisions for cannabis businesses. So for the banks that are banking the cannabis industry, your, your credit unions and your state banks, if they're running Comply, it helps them evaluate. It does all like OFAC checks, all the EIN background kyc checks on all the applicants so if i'm a brand new cannabis store i want to get a bank account through this credit union and they're using comply comply is the underwriting software that helps the bank evaluate whether to approve them or not the reason that was important for us is it number one, just strengthens our belief and what we say over and over, which is where the compliance company, like we really invest in compliance. But number two, it gave us all those banking relationships. Because now when we establish those relationships with those banks, we can say, oh, and by the way, we've got a great payments system that's compliant. We've got a great POS. So now you've just opened up your channel. And a bunch of our banks are our best sales reps that refer us tons of clients. Because your brand new cannabis store first thing you do get a bank account what's next oh how do i use payments merchant services oh well there's this great company we work with positive so yeah that's been our model and it's worked really well and, and it was one another reason why we were excited to to get comply as part of the hyper acquisition.
0: awesome and and you brought up the this phrase point of bank is that where this component this acquisition also fits what you see is a huge risk factor for a lot of these uh merchants out there
1: yeah. So point of banking is yeah. digital. Yeah. It's like a digital ATM and it's it's been the payments mechanism that's been in the industry for the longest. Um, it's not compliant. There was a Visa memo that came out in, in December of 2021 and it's out there. Um, Forbes wrote an article about it and everything. Basically it simulates an ATM. So you walk up to a cannabis and you pick out, you know, a handful of edibles, or whatever. And let's say the total 65 bucks it rolls up to 80 and it charges you like you're taking out $80 out of a cash machine. Well, the reality is you're not. You're paying for cannabis and you're getting $15 in change. And that is not a compliant service that Visa and MasterCard support. And so uh, unfortunately, there was a lot of people in this industry still are doing that. And if you go into a cannabis store and they say, yeah, you can use debit and they charge you 60 bucks on a Fifty dollar transaction, then you're using a non-compliant solution because that is not how it works. Like our solution is to the penny; it's a true debit transaction. Um, and so, yeah, there, I'll, I'll take just another minute. Just there's a lot of bad actors, and in in going back to your question about um, the industry, the frustrating part about you know cannabis getting hit so hard is there are some negative outcomes in addition just to obviously the financial piece of it is that it brought out a lot of of non-compliant solutions and it also made a lot of the stores be, become desperate right in, in desperate times sometimes people do desperate things and so what you had now is you had a lot, a lot of people representing that hey we take credit so why don't you sign up for us we take credit and all they're doing is they're lying about what the transaction is They're putting a false address of your business and you literally are processing credit. And I, I go into cannabis store sometimes and I'll be like, hey, can I use my debit card here? And they're like, no, but you can use credit. And I'm like, really? Okay. And then I start to educate them. I'm like, by the way, if you get caught, you, you number one, could have all of your funds held. Number two, you could be put on the match list, which means you're banned from using any processing for seven years. Um, and you're susceptible up to $250,000 in fines from Visa. But again, desperate times. Some of these dispensaries, is unfortunately, are trying out these non-compliant solutions. So it's a bit of the it's sad. We're just going or just going making...
0: full or just going full cash because they you know yeah. all, all the tax incentives yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So we were on this great like okay we're coming out we're becoming a mature industry we're starting to really value compliance and then all of a sudden because of the economy and and, the, and how bad cannabis was hit it almost feels like we took a step backwards. And, and people are like, oh, okay, I, I just got to survive. Like, I just want to be here in a year. So it's, it's unfortunate, but um, I always warn our stores um, because I get it all the time. Even on existing stores, they'll call me and they'll be like, hey, Ryan, I had this guy come in and says, we can take credit now. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. <can't." laughs> so anyways.
0: I was going to say, I mean, is that your biggest risk? Like, just when you're thinking short term right now in terms of like... You know, potentially winning new business and just within the current landscape of what's going on. You know, it seems like you're not so much worried about your fellow your competitors out there because it seems like you have the market penetration. Like it seems like they all know who you are. But now it's just more like these dispensaries that themselves like, well, I could do payments or I could just do cash. Especially when you're in Cal, you know, in California, right? Like taxes here are crazy. You know, I mean, you don't blame dispensaries probably being like, hey. No, I I know. appreciate you, Ryan, but I'm (laughs) going to cash right now because it is ridiculous here.
1: Yes. No, it's it's a very common conversation. It's like, hey, I respect what you guys do. I know it's the right solution. I know it's compliant, but it's costing me five grand a month. And it's like, I can't afford five grand. And by the way, with all, like you said, the taxes, if I have my own ATM, and again, not a good practice, but they take that cash. They cycle it in that ATM that's just cycling cash. Right. I mean, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of times that isn't necessarily disclosed and so it's not taxed and it's just, you know, I don't know. There's a, there's the point of, uh, you know, just in general integrity and all that stuff that you have, to, you know, it, it's just a tough space, man. There's this industry, it's gone, you know, there, there's really smart businessmen and women that are running Great stores. And you look at them like, wow, they really. But then there's also a lot of people that, you know, got into this industry. They were growing, maybe this, I don't want to stereotype, but it's like growing in my garage. <laughs> it became legal. I'm like, hey, I'll start a store. That sounds kind of cool. But they don't necessarily know everything about business. They know a lot about the product. But when, you know, you go through the times they're going through now, it's less about the product, it's more about, Hey, can I sustain this business? And so unfortunately, you know, at least a third, I would say of our industry today is people that are just trying to figure out how to survive.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, like, do you help, you know, help some of these companies with some of that? Str- I mean, cause you look at like, yeah. I mean, using California, you look at MedMen; they're just burning through cash handover. I mean, they've been doing it for years now. Right. But, um, You know, like, I mean, is there, is there certain best practices that some of these stores can have in order to make sure like, Hey, you do that? Like, well, one, you need to have the payment side process because it opens up the doors where you're not just cash only business. Now you, you know, you're allowing customers to have multiple ways in which to pay for goods. But yeah, I mean, are, are, do you guys have, I don't know if it's a service you sell, but I mean, have you been doing some kind of thought leadership to help them?
1: Yeah, we don't sell it, um, but we do have a bunch of case studies that we like to just educate um, the stores on. I mean, I think there's a couple of things. One is if you are cash only and you truly are reporting all of your cash and being taxed on it and you're having armored car pickup services and you're paying your accountant to count it and you probably have some miscounts and some theft because it's cash. The cost of cash is anywhere between six and a half and nine percent. And a lot of people don't realize that at the end of the day, when you're actually paying for managing cash, it's actually more expensive than electronic transactions. Electronic transactions, while you might be paying three and a half percent, you don't pay that armored car pickup. You have 100% accurate records of every deposit and every transaction because it is electronic. You don't have theft, and it's a much safer environment too, because you know, your bud tenders aren't dealing with massive cash drawers, and, you know, safety is a huge part of this too. So I think it's having that conversation with the right owner to educate them on, hey, here's the difference between cash and and taking plastic. Here's why, number one, you're creating a better environment for your customers, a safer environment for your workers. And in general, while it's hard to, to you know, get your head around it, you're actually going to make more money in a digital transaction than you are with cash because of that potential loss of all of those disadvantages of cash. Um and the thing i always say and it, you know if you walk in if you walked into the grocery store let's say and you went to the cash machine and you pulled out 40 bucks and then you did your shopping you're now limited by that 40 bucks. So you know you're walking into the store and you realize like oh wow like beers on special. Maybe I'll buy more, right? You can't, right? You can't, you're limited. And I use that same analogy with the store. owners. like, if you go to a a store that has an ATM, they come in the corner, they pull out 40 bucks and then they begin their shopping. So you've just like limited your sale capability. Your bud tender cannot sell that person above $40 because that's all they have. Imagine a world now where you have plastic. It doesn't matter. Like you get up to the counter and you're like, oh yeah, it's a long weekend. I forgot. Oh, or Gummies are on special or whatever. Like now, my bud tender is engaged in a great conversation. They're upselling me on my favorites. And I'm like, "Ah, sure, I'll do that. So now I spend 70, 80 bucks instead of the 40. So you just have to kind of, it takes time. You got to have that conversation with the owners and make them really understand that there there truly are benefits, more benefits to having a digital transaction than having cash.
0: For sure. Another question I have, you know, being how the industry is going through tough times, I mean, from a, from a business perspective, do you work with some of the dispensaries on, you know, their what they pay positive in order to have their services? Like, yeah. is it is it a, a like a base fee, a flat fee per month, or do you also yeah. have some structures where it's like on a transaction basis?
1: No, good question. I should have touched on it earlier. Uh, yeah, so our our basic revenue model, and it's good for investors to understand, is we have our point of sale, which is a SaaS based model, so it's just a monthly fee. We charge anywhere between. 169 to 200 bucks per terminal. So, average store has five terminals. Let's say you're paying 200 bucks per terminal. It's a thousand dollars of reoccurring revenue every month for us. And those are usually our multi-year deals. So, those are great, right? That's kind of our reoccurring revenue. Then we have our transactional revenue, which is obviously from the payment side. And what we charge there is we charge the consumer a small fee. Some stores that fee gets pretty low because we like to not have hurdles, but it can be as low as two bucks, as high as maybe 350. Um, and then we charge the merchant a processing fee somewhere around three to three and a half percent. So on a hundred dollar transaction, if we're charging the customer, let's say 250 and the merchant 350, I mean that's six bucks of top line revenue for us on a hundred dollars, which is great. Like, so it's that's why, I mean, that's why we've been able to grow our revenue pretty good, is because it's a pretty good model to be in today. Um, you know, as stores get um as stores grow and their processing grows and we want to keep them happy, we will negotiate and give them volume discounts. And so we'll, hey, you know, you guys have been a great customer. Um, you've been paying three and a half percent. We're gonna drop your rate to 325 if you sign a two-year extension or whatever. Like so, right now we're in that that model of trying to make sure we're sustaining our revenue growth and that that same store revenue year over year growth that we want. And one way to do that is just locking them in in a little bit longer contracts. So that helps us forecast out our performance and feel more comfortable than, you know, because it goes back to your question a while ago about when legalization happens and competition comes in. I mean, I'd much rather have a couple year contract, you know, where people are using our payments and, you know, it goes legal and they're like, yeah, but Square, yeah, but, and I'm like, yeah, but, you know, we've got we've got all these great services for you already, and they're fully compliant, and you, by the way, you signed a two year contract, <laughs> so, yeah,
0: very good. One last question I have on on acqu- M and yeah. acquisition side things, so, you know, because I just sure. I pulled up the full year 2022 uh, financials and I saw company had at, at that time, and you've reported Q1 since then, but can you give us your current cash amount, you know, and what what's that like ideal size look like right you know i'm sure it's some combo of cash and stock but you know like you got cash but i mean it's not like you have you know ton of cash to go and you know make like a ton of big acquisitions but you know like like to get a little better idea there
1: well and i'll start with saying we do really value our equity especially you know in these down markets where you know our company was over 200 million dollars not too long ago and now it's in half and so like we've we don't want to just give a ton of equity away when we believe that we're certainly valued much higher than what we're trading at today. And so it's always going to be a, a combo for us when we acquire. It's going to be a little bit of cash and a little bit of equity. And in some cases, maybe more of one or the other. But the, you know, for us, obviously we want to make sure we have enough capital in the bank for sustained operations of our current team. So we look out, you know, over 18 months of payroll and everything else, like, okay, we're, we're in good shape there. Um, you know, one of the things we announced when we did acquire hyper is that we have a line of credit, um, that we've drawn, uh, now six, we we drew 6 million on 11 million. So we still have 5 million sitting out there in the line of credit. That is ours if we want to take it. Um, and then we have cash in the bank and I think, um, we're at like 7 million or something like that was that, yeah. So, you know, we have cash, um, but. We we don't have stupid cash like we're not it's like we're not going to go like make like we we're making acquisitions that are going to be a little bit smaller in nature that like I said you know a chunk of merchants a little bit of a technology probably gap to fill but it's you know it's not uh, these are not hundreds of millions of dollar kind of acquisitions at this point now eventually maybe we'll get there this is part of the whole roll up right now I mean you're seeing this across the cannabis tech industry right now. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's an important point for just your listeners is that this, if you look at the cannabis tech space, software space, you're looking at an industry that 12 months ago probably had, you can almost name like 30 kind of reasonable players. At the end of this year, you're, it's going to be down to like 10. Like it's like there's that much, you know, we've already seen, BioTrack get acquired, right? Akerna get acquired. We've made acquisition. Like you, you, you know, it's it's weed maps traded, obviously Leafly traded, NASDAQ. And then you really have PauseBit, you have Dutchy, and then probably Blaze, Trees, and Jane. Like those are the eight, I guess, or seven that I just said that I feel like are the software companies that I feel like are going to be around in 12 months. Like I just think there's a lot of consolidation that's still going to happen. And then unfortunately there's just gonna be a lot of companies that just go out of business and, and, you know, they just don't get bought because there's nothing there to buy.
0: And you named a couple of them that I know aren't in the payments POS space either. So, I mean, Exactly. Which makes it
1: really hard, which makes it really hard. Right. And yeah, so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a cool, really cool space to be in. It's super challenging. I mean, I like, I thought when I worked at Microsoft for 17 years that that was hard. And now I realize that that was like, that was my honeymoon period. Like, that was easy. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's, man, I tell you, I did not know what I I, I You come, it's funny, you know, as I was probably super arrogant coming out of Microsoft, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be easy and it's
0: Cake, like cannabis chill man. this is gonna be so this is gonna be so, so stuff's gonna be legal in a couple years no worries man easy yeah it's that's uh,
1: funny it, it's been it's been super fun though i will say that i mean i oh, i always great. tell people i'm having more fun today than i ever have in my entire career because there's never a dull moment and great we have a great team we have great products the industry is even though it's challenging it's really fun And it's, it's a, it's cool to be in an industry too. That's just, it's really growing and we know it's not going anywhere. Like it's just going to get bigger. I mean, that's the thing. Like, so while investors are frustrated, you know, everyone will tell you cannabis isn't going away. It's just going to get bigger. So, you know, we're going through a little bit of a hiccup, but.
0: So, so Ryan, you know, before I let you go, I got, I got. Two more two more questions because we hit almost of in terms of like downside risk risk factors I mean we it's almost yeah. like it goes without saying almost in many respects you're in yeah. you know a very growthy sector um part yep. of um you yeah. know but my what of my two questions you know I And I think we covered almost everything, but I mean, like I said, you've done kind of the dog and pony show, been out there doing one-on-ones conferences, everything like that. You know, what would you say have been some of the more recent frequently asked questions you've gotten? Maybe we can answer them here or, or what do people still get confused about when they think of positive?
1: Yeah. Honestly, the number one question I get and it's, it's easy is Hey, positive you guys. Great story. You've doubled your revenue for five years. Like, why is your stock not moving i mean i have so many investors that have asked me that question and i'm like I wish i knew like i wish i knew like we are in a we're in a weird space and and you talked to you said you talked to lewis right cammy and he he was one of the first ones that said this to me when when i got him on the board he's like i've never seen an industry like this this is weird Like you you can look on paper at positive and you're like this company shouldn't be worth this it should be worth three times this like er, er, you guys are doing everything you know but yet the stock is just it's we'll make a huge announcement and the stock will go down but then we'll do nothing and the stock will go up like it's just it's a very interesting market so that's the number one question i get is just like hey what's up with the value like we've Posit should be valued more. I'm like, yeah, it should be valued more. I'm, you know, we what we're doing, we're putting our head down, we're executing. And that's, hey, the market's gonna be the market. We know it's gonna recover. We know we're gonna come out looking great at the end of the day, but hey, I, I already lost all my hair worrying about <laughs> worrying about our stock price. So so that's one question. The other question is, um what and you already asked me, which is hey, what happens when legalization happens? How is positive it gonna, you know, what's the competition gonna be like? And I always I say the exact thing thing I said to you, which is hey, we're gonna be great. Like don't worry about positive post-legalization. Like we're gonna be super healthy. And not only are we to be super healthy, but we're probably gonna get taken out and you know, you're gonna get a nice payout. So, you know, let <laughs> there's no there's no like shying away or or don't worry about legalization. That's okay. We're gonna be okay. So those are probably the two biggest questions I get.
0: Perfect. All right. So my final question for you here, and it's kind of interesting because it's really it's it's two paths right it's because the question the base question is you know in your opinion where do you want to see the company in three to five years and what would you say are the inflection points that'll get you there but you really got to answer in two ways it's like okay if legalization if not legalization right so if legalization it's well there's this so i'd love to hear you say both paths in in that case
1: okay so in a non-legalization i think over the and let's just say that And I don't think legalization number is going to have like full legalization. I don't think happens in the next five years. Just it's going to be more than five years. So I'll just say in the next five years, our goal is to um, continue to grow our processing. And, you know, we're going to be getting real close to processing a billion dollars this year. But I think a really um, great inflection point for us is going to be actually, and it's weird, it's the two billion mark. The two billion mark for us represents just from a market share standpoint, a significant, it's almost like that train is up and over the mountain. Like once you get to that 2 billion mark, the momentum is gonna be super hard to stop us. So we've had great traction as we're building up to a billion, but for us, you know, in the next 18 months is to get to 2 billion, like that absolutely is a goal. And I think once we're there, it just solidifies us and it'd be really hard for competition. It just puts us in a really unique position. with a legalization, I mean, honestly, I think it's gonna come down to do we have a big enough market share that we can protect our current base? And so I look at that and I go, okay, our point of sale. Because a point of sale sale is very sticky. It's it's the core of the business. A payment sale is just transactional, it's where the money is, but it's really that point of sale that manages your inventory, it manages your people, it manages you know all, all your ordering and inventory and everything. So that we need to have at least my metric I always say is 2000. I'd like to have 2000 merchants on the point of sale. Because then when legalization happens, it's really hard to displace because that point of sale is really entrenched and you also become extremely attractive as an acquisition. There's a nucleus of uh, you know 2000 or more merchants in this space kind of is the magic number for me on that so it's really two billion in processing and two two thousand in point of sale merchants those are the two and the the pre don't legalize it's more important on the processing side on the legalization it's definitely more important on the point of sale side because it's a much more sticky product
0: very cool all right you know ryan i think we're pretty much did i miss anything what, what are you? did i miss anything i think we covered everything um,
1: We covered a lot, man, and and it's uh, no, I appreciate it. It's like I said, you know, it's it's been a fun space to be in. I think the best is still to come with Posbit. I mean, we uh, you know we're eight years into this thing, but the last you know it's like anything. Last two years have been drastically different than the first six years. Like we're really growing at a fast pace. Our technology is is taking off, and you know we have some interesting. You know, we're on the CSE and we're on the OTC, but. We're exploring the NASDAQ pretty, pretty hard right now. And we're exploring the big board up in, you know, the TSX too. So we believe there is a path that gets us there. And that is going to be really healthy for us and for our investors if we can get there. So, you know, look out for more from us on that coming up. But uh no, that's definitely on our agenda is to get on the big board.
0: Absolutely. I and you've publicly talked about that. About yes. okay, good. I just have. make just make compliance, make yeah. sure. Right, cool. <laughs> no. No, exclusive to you. (laughs) Breaking news.
1: Um, (laughs) On the podcast today.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, Ryan, that's good stuff, dude. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for joining me today. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. I really look forward to our next update.
1: Sounds great. Appreciate the time. And thank you all for listening, too.
0: Absolutely. And Ryan, real quick, I forgot to ask you, where can our audience go and find more information on PositBit?
1: Well, you can go to PositBit.com. It's posabit. dot com, and we have an investor page there. And uh, click on the link to subscribe if you want. You'll get all of our investor updates um, awesome. as well. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for the the plug.
0: Awesome. Thank you, man.